Welcome to the podcast Rise and Play. I am Sophie Vaux, your podcast host. I bring together leaders, entrepreneurs, fund makers, investors, and educators who are here to make a change in the industry. For a brighter and healthier future of the games we will make, and how we will make them. We're here to start a conversation because listening and asking the hard questions is sometimes enough to inspire change in us, to take the leap to. Let's begin. Today, I have Cam with me on the podcast. Cam Punya started his career in the games industry at Konami, working with IPs such as Metal Gear Solid and Silent Hill, before leading the Yu-Gi-Oh! brand in Europe. He's now the founder and CEO of Pixion Games. Cam and I connected a few years ago at Gamescom, as we shared very similar values about company culture and ethics in business. Since then, we are friends and keep exchanging once in a while our practices about leadership and culture. Hi, Cam. Super excited to have you here today. Hi, Sophie. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me too. Well, let's start a bit with, uh, I would say, very typical questions we have these days and ask you, you know, as a friend, how have you been working still from home with uncertainty, you know, of, I know as well in the UK, opening up slowly, maybe, maybe not. How have you been overall? I think, you know, I, I practice empathy and gratitude quite a lot. And so it's been, I'm sure, a challenging year and, and lots of people have had a, a lot of things to deal with over the last, what, 15, 18 months or so. But fortunately, you know, I'm healthy, my family are healthy. So I'm doing things that I love every single day. So really overall, I, I couldn't ask for much more. I'm really pleased with things so far. That sounds great. And practicing gratefulness, feeling happy about what we have, like just being in good health is, you know, something to feel really grateful about. So great to hear. Yeah, I, I think you do take it for granted, but, you know, just having air in your lungs and uh, a roof over your head and food in your in your stomach, that's, that's already, you know, a, a big win on my side. So um, just remembering that amongst all the chaos that's going on you know keeps me grounded and yeah uh, it ensures that I'm smiling good reminder of living <laughs> absolutely very also philosophical thoughts <laughs> let's begin then the conversation on for the audience who doesn't know you how did you start Pixion Games when was it overall what made you take the leap to start your own company after all this experience on these great games and franchises yeah, sure. So I started Pixing Games now in 2018, so just over three years ago. Uh, and it was always something that I I wanted to do. Uh, building games and, and games as a whole has, has always been a passion of mine. And I guess the seed was planted when I was much younger. And since then, I've always wanted to build and be in the games industry. And I had the pleasure of working with some incredible IPs like the Metal Gear Solid franchise, which I was an absolute fanboy of growing up. And, and so being able to work on titles like that were, you know, absolutely a dream come true. But what made me then move away probably from if I had to write on paper my ideal role at Konami, what made me jump and start Pixing Games, it was quite a, a surreal experience. Uh, if I describe that, Konami were treating me extremely well. And I was actually in a very privileged position, let's say, in a, a BA first-class lounge 
waiting for a, a flight and eating my tiramisu. <laughs> so as you can imagine, very privileged. <laughs> and I had a very distinct memory at that time pop up completely out of context to where I was at the time. And it was when I was maybe four years old and my, my mother at the time, she came home and brought over some food for myself and my three older sisters. And I distinctly recall turning around as I was digging into this plate of food and, and asking my mum, does she not want to have any? And uh, she very clearly mentioned to me that she wasn't hungry and didn't want any. But as I obviously grew, grew older, I learned it was very much because as a family and as parents, they couldn't afford to feed, you know, not only myself and my three other siblings, but themselves too at times. And so that really gave me a jolt. Uh, and I was there in a very privileged position, you know, having my tiramisu in a first class lounge. And I remembered suddenly then all the struggles that my parents had gone through to give me an absolute dream of a childhood and a the future and opportunities that I have now is is all because of them. And it really hit me of I'm enjoying my life, but what am I really doing for those that I love and those people around me that maybe don't have those opportunities or aren't, don't believe that they can make more of what they want to do with their lives and, and, and chase those dreams. And that really then kick-started my, my journey into moving through the industry, learning what I wanted to learn and eventually starting fixing games that's an amazing story and thanks for sharing like your even your background where you come from and again knowing you it's what has shaped you you know as a, an adult as a ceo as a leader in your philosophy as well is uh, very due to yeah how you were raised your experience and maybe again being grateful about what you have when you know how the days look like when you didn't have something. It's um, very touching as well to hear, you know, openly your background. I know as well, like coming, uh, you know, from immigrants' background, the days and the times when you had nothing or less, and then you can be grateful for little things you had every day, yeah. like you said. Exactly. It, it's certainly now, you know, a huge driving force for me personally. Yeah. And as you, as a little kid, and your starting passion for games, I was curious how. So I understand that you grew up, you know, in in difficult background where you didn't have always even like food for everyone at the table. Mm -hmm. And how did games get introduced in your life? What were your first interaction with games, or what was your first game? The first game I remember playing is I I remember for a very long time saving up one pound a day. <laughs> it took me a very long time and my father would give me one pound a day if I had completed a specific chore. And then eventually I would count up and count up and count up until I could buy my first console, which was a, a Sega Mega Drive mm -hmm. now, what, 20, no, 30 years ago. <laughs> and I remember playing a game called Alex the Kid uh, and I would be besotted with that game, trying to complete level after level, And, and that really ignited my passion of just the challenges and the sort of escapism, the joy, many different emotions that I'd feel. That, that's certainly where it first started for me. I'm a Mega Drive as well generation. <laughs> I, I think that was my first meaningful console. And not Alex the Kid, but I had a lot of Disney game, Aladdin. I think 
Lion King as well, pretty hardcore to play. Yeah. And they were amazing, the games on the... Lion King and Hercules, uh, you know, lots oh, of fun yeah. memories of them. <laughs> I do remember, yeah. And so as a kid that had your first experience with games and how you got it, now that you have your own game company, how certain are you about this path? This is your path working in games, like a vocation, you know? Are you 100% sure? Like, why games you choose over other industries? Yeah, sure. I, I think one of the, the benefits that, or one of the things I'm really grateful for is having a very clear you know, mission statement for my life and what I want to achieve. I, I know a lot of people and close friends that are still searching for what that why is. And mm-hmm. uh, I think I found my why when I was I was 14. And as I say, I grew up in a very small town in, in England. And so the summer vacations and holidays during school were generally quite uneventful. And so one one summer holiday in the six weeks that we had, I decided to, instead of playing games every day, uh, try and build one. And so I learned to code and essentially built what we'd now call in the industry an, an endless runner, mm-hmm. uh, essentially skiing down a, a ski slope, dodging trees and a basic high school system. And I was extremely proud of this. And I can still remember the sort of 8-bit pixel art that had been created, but I, I absolutely was overjoyed with the experience. I mean, I, I begged and pleaded my parents to pick up and uh, invite my school friends over so we could play the game that I'd created together. And I remember playing well into the night, this very, very simple game. But what it had done, it, it had brought me and my friends together after several weeks. And all we were doing is is having a great great experience and a great time around this very socially competitive experience of who could ski further down the hill and whose high school was <laughs> was the longest or the, the largest by the end of the playtime. And and so it was it was that point where I decided I wanted to build games that bring people together and, and now more than ever I feel players want to connect, play and, and compete with each other around the world. And so one of the things I, I think we we aim to do is, you know, allow our players to feel like champions, but when life permits. And that was something me and my friends felt that time when we were all 14. And every time we'd hit that high school, we felt like a champion. And that's what we're trying to create now. I wanted to say that it's probably the first time also I hear from you with these words about your personal mission and probably as well what is at the core of uh, Pixion's mission. And just by telling the story, I wanted to tell you that I could imagine totally the scene you've been, the game you created at 14 years old, you know, that young and <laughs> this moment of joy you created just with friends playing together, this experience, memorable experience that will stick for life. I can relate to that, although it's not my personal experience, but uh, it's really interesting and I relate to this mission. I have a strong image, you know, in my mind just by you telling the story. And it, it again, it touches me. It inspires me. It's great. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it was, you know, something just looking back at the, my friends and how games brought people together. Game Gaming has always brought close people to me. So my best man at my wedding, I... I met online playing a PlayStation 2 game. We met each other when we were maybe 16, 17 years old. And, and now 
what, nearly 20 years on, I call him family and, you know, he's as close to me as a brother. And so gaming for me is, is more than just escapism and a form of enjoyment or entertainment. It, for me, it really is about how do we create these experiences that allow people to connect together. Mm. It has impacted for sure your life and it's very incorporated, you know, in your life. It's not just a hobby and really like deep, like skin in the game, you know, about the games. It's amazing. Meeting a best friend through gaming. Wow. And yeah, your best man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, I, I don't think we'd both have thought that would be the case, but, but here we are. We, we talk to each other probably, you know, every week. Mm -hmm. And I agree that games, when you have experienced yourself, which positive impact it can have on you, then you want to recreate that with what you create and share this experience, this joy with uh, the audience, with the products you create. So that's a mission as well. I relate a lot to in how I approach as well the work for our own studio. Absolutely. And more about the life values. So you talked about also your why, your mission, and how much clarity do you have on your own personal values, whether, you know, it's for work or for life? And how do they reflect, you know, in the culture of the company you built? Yeah, sure. So again, it all stems back to, you know, growing up as a child in the environment that I did is I really take forward now leading with empathy and, and really not assuming anything. In my personal life, in my professional life, not only as a CEO and founder of Pixium, but previously, many times there have been scenarios where I've assumed something, whether it was about the scenario that's happening, bailing itself at the time, or an individual circumstances, and, and probably eight times out of ten, when I've assumed something about that individual scenario, I've I've missed a critical piece of information or a crucial piece of information that really explains what's just happened or why the person has acted in such a way. And so I think leading with MPM really going into any conversation with first wanting to understand and having conversations to learn and listen rather than to respond and retaliate is one of the key, uh, I guess, ingredients for me personally and what I try and drive forward into the culture of, of Pixin. Uh, and then secondly, really candid transparency, saying what you feel and being really honest. I think in, in life is really important. We can only really be responsible for ourselves that is really the only thing fortunately we have control of and so really saying and, and mentioning you know what it is that you want what you feel what the problem is you owe it to yourself to to be transparent and and share that with whoever's involved and what you, the second point i wanted to bounce on that it's really difficult, like the honest transparency, you know, to the courage to be yourself. I think there are many self-help books about that. And of course, the way you, you talk about it sounds like you have incorporated it for you. So it's easier for you to talk about it. But I was curious a bit more about your thoughts, however, for the audience that may still be struggling with what we call authenticity, being yourself, you know, like honest telling what's in your mind what do you see are the blockers still for many people to reach this point i think and maybe it's because of the position i'm in I, I think a lot of that responsibility 
does fall firstly on, you know, management to create an environment where it is safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to be honest, it is safe to say you got something wrong. It is safe to say you failed or, or dropped the ball in an area and, and really, you know, show some vulnerability there. It's uh, You see a lot of books and you see a lot of podcasts or videos where it's about, you know, working 18 hours a day, crushing it, mm-hmm. uh, going through every single obstacle with, without fear. And all of that obviously has some value, but... Uh, it's really important to understand at the end of the day, we're all also human beings and we all have different drivers and different motivations. And uh, we're, we also, as I say, going back to not assuming, we've all got our, our different fires that we're fighting day in, day out. And so I think if management can create a, a really inclusive environment and, and also share you know, some of the problems they're facing, share some of the things that they are struggling with, it makes it much easier for others to then follow and, and and see that actually it is okay to share your problems. It is actually a, a strength to share these. And for the stigma, I can say when you are afraid to share or afraid to be yourself, whether you know work or personal environment, by uh, fixing a bit this loop, this uh, fear or anxiety loop where you cannot be yourself because it will be punished, actually creates new behavior and new habits where it's okay to be yourself, you know, to open up. Actually, it will be even more appreciated in the right environment and you can be reprogrammed as well in, the, in this way of behavior yeah. for people as well to adopt the change. Yeah, and I think once you see that people all trust and believe in each other but also don't punish each other for, you know, just being human beings, uh, you know, amazing things happen. Mm-hmm. And about Pixion games culture, I was so curious, like as you have your also values established in a certain vision of a culture, there's the real culture lift. And I think you know that as well, what I meant by that. So how would you describe Pixion games, like the people, the culture that is really in place? What makes it unique? Yeah, sure. I, I think I'm probably guilty of sometimes really struggling to appreciate, you know, what the team and I are building at Pixion. As a CEO and founder, I'm constantly focused on you know what Mm -hmm. isn't going well what can we improve what can I do better to help but then as we bring more people on board new joiners join the team and and continuously give us the same and positive feedback on the environment how safe they feel the the other members of the team that are here I realize that actually what we are doing day in day out is something incredible and the, the team you know a testament to that in terms of what I'd say make Pixie and special, obviously it's the people, uh, mm-hmm. but it's how those day in, day out interactions occur. And I go back to some of the things I mentioned previously is that uh, we really do go into conversations with empathy being at the heart of them. And so mm-hmm. really wanting, as I say, to understand what that individual or, or group of individuals are saying wanting to know their motivations rather than it being a back and forth of me trying to prove to you, you know, whether my idea is a better one or my direction is a better one. It's let's have a conversation and I want to understand your point of view before I I speak my own thoughts. And so moving forward with empathy in those day in, day out interactions, uh, I think really set Pixie aside. It means when it comes to conflict, disagreements, 
different forts, we, we fare really well and we're able to actually be quite, not pragmatic, but quite diligent in how we sort of traverse and go through them. Hearing you, it reminds me also a lot of a culture I have built in my studio, <laughs> but I am not surprised by this. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's a lot of lessons, you know, I've learned from you as well. <laughs> Thank you. And more about uh, the process of decision making, because especially as a CEO and, you know, with uh, all the things that can happen in daily life, what are your guiding principles when you need to make a hard decision? Or if you have even an anecdote of a hard decision you had to make, I don't know, over the past six months or year, uh, please share the anecdote. Yeah, there's a lot to choose from. <laughs> I think what I always try and fall back on, is it the right thing? So speaking specifically about Pixian, is it the right thing for the company long term? So trying to take myself and individuals out of the equation. So is it the right thing for Pixian? Not for me, not for an individual, but... If in six months, a year, two years, five years, will the company be in a better position if I make this call now? Uh, and if my gut instinct says, yes, it will be, regardless of how difficult it is, I press forward with it. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, whatever decision I'm trying to make, if it affects people, and generally they do, uh, how do I make this decision while supporting the individuals that are going to be affected? It's very easy for me to reach a conclusion and resolve that internally myself and be at peace with that decision. But as a founder, a lot of the things that I do and say and the decisions that I make have a, a big impact on other individuals. And so I always think about if I make this decision, who's affected and how do I best support them? Do you have an example of how, for example, you could have helped or supported individuals, especially yeah, in hard decisions that may affect them? Yeah, so I have one individual and I, I reflect on it quite a lot. It, it's certainly something that I, I believe I could have handled much better, but it's now a, a learning experience and one hopefully I'll take forward. Uh, that was probably to kill one of our previous games called Bash Arena. And we've killed multiple games mm -hmm. in the past, so it's not something new to us. We iterate quickly. But this game in particular, we'd been working on for over a year. We'd worked through various different milestones, uh, ticked those milestones off. We had good engagement and overall the team was was pretty positive. You know, it was a happy camp uh, when it came to this game. Uh, where we struggled was really pushing the LTV to where we wanted it to be. And we, we spent four to four or five months maybe trying to move the needle and, and we just couldn't um, and then the team started to become fragmented in some wanted to kill it some really believed that because we've got retention we need to stick with it and monetization will come with more iteration and more learning uh, and, and so with the team and the camp being divided I, I thought about and crunched a lot of different factors numbers scenarios over a couple of days and then once I had come to a conclusion that actually it's best to kill this game immediately once I had sort of resolved that internally I sat down with a team and decided team we need to kill this game and retrospectively looking at it it's still the right thing to do it was still the best call for the company 
but what I, I should have done is actually give him a team notice that I'm now in a review process. At the end of this review process, we might continue, we might mm-hmm. kill, but it's something that they should be prepared for. And it is something now that I'm going to start scrutinizing, particularly this game. And it was an abrupt, let's say, shock to some people, particularly those that wanted to continue. And really what I should have done is, mm. as I say, considered who it will affect, which is the entire team, the entire organization, let those individuals and let the team know that this retrospective uh, review of a game and its performances is now going to be done. And at the end of it, we'll have a decision. Mm-hmm. On my own experience as well, with uh, working on a game for a year, I can relate as well to the same experience where we tend to underestimate of how attached people are to projects. And we look at it, you know, like from a distant point of view, like you say, crunching numbers, you know, business. And we move on. And when these situations happen and, I don't know, somebody breaks down, this is how you realize it means much more. And uh, spending the time to communicate these scenarios, plan A, B, C, D, E, like always in anticipation, even if they won't happen, helps as what you accept already a reality that it may stop. It's really hard. Yeah, and I, I think one thing that came out of that, a lesson for me is transparency, not only in the decision-making, but transparency in the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, particularly at that point, you know, uh, again, with the, uh, benefit of hindsight retrospectively uh, I wish I would have given more transparency to a team and, and told them that you know this process is being undertaken yeah well as you said I think we as a lead leader CEOs we live and learn and we will always make mistakes and do better tomorrow I think that's a part of the process absolutely yeah it's uh, like I say a lesson that has definitely helped going forward. Mm-hmm. And let's switch gears a bit on the topic that also I ask everyone about, which is also, I would say, even a keyword in in the industry at the moment, is diversity and inclusion. And I wanted to know what's your take on it, your position, or is it even reflected in how you work at Fiction? Yeah, I, I think it's incredibly important. I. I generally do believe that having many different lenses, many different outlooks uh, on both the problems and solutions that we as a team and as a company face is a superpower of our studio. So right now we're a team of 14 individuals. We come from nine countries. We have uh-huh, women nice. in leading positions. We don't only look at you know the number of years you've got on your CV quite the opposite. We look at what you've done, whether it's in one year or 10 years, it, it doesn't really matter to us. It's really about uh, mm-hmm. how you perform uh, within the company. And then obviously it helps that as a an Indian, I've witnessed firsthand some of the, the difficulties mm-hmm. when it comes to being an Indian, being a founder, CEO, trying to build a startup. And, and so it's definitely a topic that's close to my heart. Mm-hmm. Can you share more of these blockers that you have experienced as a founder, indeed, Indian founder? Is it about the ecosystem where you've been? 
uh, where you know does it translate yeah i think again it's, it stems down to assumptions so whether it's i, I go back to you know being a founder that has been in the industry for over a decade but then going back to let's say individuals that have only been in the industry for a couple of years um uh, one one scenario i think really or a major part of resistance is giving opportunity to those that maybe haven't been given the you know the fortunate road and pathway that you and i have been able to take advantage of there's an incredible amount of women men that don't have the opportunities that we have but the games industry is full of individuals with incredible ideas incredible drive and they generally don't get the opportunities for a number of reasons whether that's their race whether that's their sex whether that's their background whether that's because they haven't been in the industry for you know 15 years it's it's a number of different factors uh, and what happens is we get the same ideas the same lenses looking at the same problems and uh, it really stifles creativity and innovation and and with gaming being such an ever changing and rapidly changing environment having individuals that let's say haven't been tainted by failure haven't been tainted by killing projects they come to each of these challenges with a very fresh take a very fresh outlook and really just look at how do we solve this not how we've solved it previously or what others have done in the last five years is here's a problem how do we take it on board and i think having a diverse group has really helped us in that sense yeah totally agree having a also very international team a lot of nationalities i can see the beauty of uh, ideas that come up very creative it's you know it's like a pot an organic mix and something comes out of it and you're surprised like wow i would have never imagined exactly this. I, i think we're all a product of our upbringing and, and that means we all have lots of different blind spots um having so many individuals with such different backgrounds it just means you're, you're covering more uh, more of those blind spots things that were unknown to you and not unknown to others and you know that just only helps you going forward mm. And I think also it's very rich to work with very different people. For me, it's been personal growth where I see, you know, there's a say where you learn a lot with others because they reveal to you blind spots. So if you interact always with the same people, then you have the same reaction. But if you have, a, I don't know, somebody triggering you or you triggering that person, you have these conflict tensions. It's an opportunity actually to learn more about yourself And I find it amazing. It's if you like, of course, to grow and, and go through these conflicts. <laughs> <laughs> It's incredible. And I, I think with the, with the team that we have, you, I'm, I'm constantly learning of how, how they handle certain situations as mm -hmm. well. Uh, it, it's things that I just wouldn't expect. And those are the things that you can take on board and hopefully help you going forward. Right. And about the mix of the team you have today, How were the intentions for you to make this team? How did that happen? I hear also the other side of many founders or teams saying it's really hard to have a diverse team. Yes, we want, but you know, they end up with all the same guys from the same nationality and same group. So how did you form this group? 
Yeah, I, I think it goes back to what's important to me um, and, and what's important as a sort of core of Pixian's own cultural values. Mm-hmm. And that naturally then attracts individuals uh, that share that belief. And, you know, we're not looking for that, as I say, that individual that loves competitive games that has been in the industry 15 mm-hmm. years and, and plays Call of Duty and FIFA. Like those individuals have a lot of value. Uh, and some of them actually we do have, <laughs> but but we we also have, you know, those that love to draw, those that love to grow their own vegetables. We have an incredible amount of different interests and hobbies. And um, I think once you start approaching hiring as just looking for individuals that can obviously perform and and can meet a certain benchmark when it comes to skills that are needed, but importantly offer a different perspective. That is maybe a quality that you don't write on your job spec, but is equally important to us. And so it's part of the things that we assess, you know, is this a perspective that we already have? If it is, do we need more of it? Um, Or is it a perspective that as, as you mentioned earlier, is it a blind spot? Uh, and if it is a blind spot and someone can cover that blind spot, then that's, that's a, a big plus. Coming back to your position as the CEO of a company, what are your biggest personal challenges in this position? Or um, can you also tell us more about the role like as a CEO? You know, it's a broad position. What are you doing, you know, on a daily basis? How are you organized with a team? Yeah, sure. So I think probably the biggest challenge as a CEO is as as I'm the, the sole founder, it means there's a, a lot of self-reflection. Every decision is is done with myself, you know, talking to myself in the mirror. Um, <laughs> fortunately, I do have an incredible network of people, including yourself at, at any point in time. I'm able to mm. bounce ideas off of them. And that's certainly lessens the burden but in the day-to-day decision making and there's many many different scenarios and decisions that you have to make I'd say the biggest personal challenge that you know I have to overcome and continue to try and overcome is being on that line of self-doubt and conviction I think every every leader or CEO or founder is trying to do something that hasn't been done before and so that means mm-hmm. there's never really a, a like-for-like case study that you can just continue to to work off. And, and, and so there's a lot of uncertainty uh, that can create a lot of self-doubt. And so having conviction and belief in the team obviously minimizes a lot of that. But it's it's a constant battle, right, of is this the right decision? Have I considered all the scenarios? What happens if it goes right? What happens if it doesn't go well? These are the, the constant questions that, you know, I have to ask myself. Yeah. And in this position, there are a million things you can think about and unfortunately have to think about. So I, I connect this as well, like this constant uncertainty, which is part of a job and self-doubt also leading to stress. How do you handle this to, you know, endure the journey and stay in the game, which is like the game of a CEO? Uh, do you have any techniques or practices to, you know, keep a sanity of mind with this position? 
how do I handle stress? I think it's an iterative journey. It's one that I'm constantly always trying to evolve and, and improve on. But right now, very much, I try and create healthy and positive habits. And so early in the morning, generally, there's a form of exercise and then gratitude training, let's say, or really just writing down in a journal the things that I'm grateful for and the things that, you know, I'm I'm happy about in my life. Mm -hmm. Physical exercise, I think, is incredibly important for me personally. I notice a huge difference in my mental well-being in a week where I've exercised in a week where I haven't it makes me feel like I've I've made progress in an area that I'm able to control and so that's always really important you mentioned something really important here about so I hear a routine you have a daily routine uh, like you follow diligently religiously I would almost say and this is the biggest challenge I would say for people to I don't think only in work, but I look at sport, for example, where I have friends complaining about, I cannot follow a sport routine and just the routine in general. How do you keep the discipline of the routine that you just shared? Or what is the thinking process? Or what's happening for you to keep this routine? What works for you? Yeah, sure. I think you have to intrinsically connect it to a strong purpose, a mm-hmm. strong why. And so I have a very clear goal of why am I doing these things? But secondly, you know, we're creatures of habit. What breaks those habits is a high barrier to entry. And so Mm -hmm. when it comes to writing in my journal, my journal's next to me, (laughs) uh, next to my bed. So as soon as I wake up, you know, before I have to jump on my phone and answer emails, before I have to do anything else, I've got a constant reminder, here's your diary, your journal cam, it's time to write in it. And then when it comes to physical exercise. I, I've made sure that at home I'm able to work out in, in various different ways. And, and so again, rather than having to go somewhere, spend time traveling, uh, just creating more excuses, I try and remove as many obstacles in the way. And so really following those habits is, is as easy as I can make them. You mentioned here two important things in the Creation of habits first, the intrinsic motivation, I think is key. Having a clear why, why do you even care to follow this routine? Is it, and when I, because I have some routines that I try to establish for myself and they fail and some others that stick. And one thing I can say is that when they're towards external, I don't know, validation, I want to, let's say, for example, I want to do sport because I just want to look good to Mm. others. It's not a strong enough motivation, no. unfortunately, to go through the pain and follow it. But when I turn the motivation, that is, I want to work out every day because I want to have a good health. I want to live long enough to do the mission and all the things you know I want to do and contribute in this world. Then I have a very strong reason to not fall out of a routine because it's much stronger than external validation. So that's a great tool to identify first intrinsic motivation. And second tool that you mentioned, which is about, I would call it system building. How do you create the environment and the system around you to support these routines that you know that you really need are really important? And I love the anecdote that you shared about basically designing your life and your environment to support what you need to do. So having the journal nearby and maybe the phone is far away. So it's the last thing you reach in a very far room, you know, these things. Yeah. 
So it's, it's exactly that. So my diary is next to me. My phone is on the opposite side of the room. <laughs> uh, as you say, it's creating these support systems that make uh, sticking to these habits and continuing with these habits an easier process. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope these two at least practices, tools, can also help the audience to try as well, building these habits and uh, doing a bit of a journaling exercise before committing on routines that you want to do. Absolutely. It's helped me. So I'm a, a huge advocate for taking the, the words out of your own mind, your own psychology, writing them down. Uh, you, you suddenly have a lot mm-hmm. of clarity once you can read them back to yourself. Yeah. I double down on that. Journaling and making sense of what's happening in the mind is essential to gain clarity. And it's a very powerful practice to do often journaling, you know, offering, revisiting your former thoughts, your former self, yeah, once in a while. And about then, your since we talk about life management here, how do you organize yeah, your time as CEO, you know, husband, life in general? Yeah, personal life and work life. How do you do it? Firstly, I have to say, you know, I have an incredible wife. Um, mm-hmm. She does more for me than I think I could ever do. For anyone else <laughs> so I have a, a really supportive family and a very supportive wife as I say and, and that means when I do need to skew the scale in terms of my commitment I can always rely back on the people that are important to me are, are supporting that decision generally what I try and do is always have a cutoff point and sometimes that's hard to manage particularly when there's maybe a a specific deadline when you're fundraising, things like that, where it's a 24-7 activity for a sustained period of time. Mm-hmm. But out of those events that, you know, don't happen every month, every year, I try and stick to a very specific routine again of working, answering emails, having a very specific to-do list, being available for the team. But once I clock off and once I hit that moment in time, I try and spend that time with, you know, the people that are important to me. That was sort of my hard cutoff. Um, but as you probably know, as a, as a leader, you can't simply just mm-hmm. cut off. And so what I would normally do is have a hard cutoff and then realize actually I'm being pulled back into work, pulled back into those fires that need fighting. And that would make me feel guilty for, you know, going back on what I wanted to do. And so what I do is have almost checkpoints So during this time when I'm with my family, with my friends, with my wife, I have specific checkpoints that they're aware of where I I simply sink out of a scenario that I'm in, the environment I'm in, and go back to, you know, those pressing matters that I know are always going to be there. So that allows me to fully commit to the individuals and the people that are there in front of me, knowing that I'm going to have a time block to address, you know, those things that are maybe in the back of my mind that I know need to be worked on, I'll have that period and I'm able to segregate those pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned a, an important point, like having a strong, you know, support system, people around you that you can rely on supporting you as well in the hard times because you may not always control the time where you need, you are in this rush, you know, it, this crunch, yeah. uh, like for CEOs, it's actually the case. And having a strong support. And also, it sounds to me you have a strong clarity as well where are your priorities and values. And people seem very 
important like family at the heart of this and it sounds like you will know when to draw the line when you feel it's a bit too stretched and that's important just to know that you know yeah it's certainly still sometimes guilty of overstepping that line but mm -hmm. uh, I certainly try and do my best as I say to to create blockers where I need them and create these support systems that just allow me to create better and healthier habits I have one for you that is also acceptance you know it's hard a hard position you are in and you will not always manage everything and it's okay as well there's a lot of awareness and just for that you can telling you as a friend you can be very grateful for already and people who love you will understand and forgive you know <laughs> <laughs> thank you okay and so to close also the podcast today i have for all my guests three hot questions that i ask at the end towards a bright future so my first one is what are the next big steps for your studio We've got a number, but I'd say immediately the things that myself and the team are looking for, we've got two very exciting games in development. We've run a number of tests on them, and unfortunately, they've come back with some really great KPIs. Again, testament to the team, I put goals in front of them, and they're absolutely smashing it out of the park so far. So I'd say the next big exciting steps for the studio is uh, soft launching these two games. Yeah, it's a good problem to have when you have two games doing too well <laughs> and then you have to do a hard decision, you know. Yeah, or maybe no decision. <laughs> it's a, a nice change from, you know, killing games. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And I, I wish like the best really for these games and looking forward to hearing more of the news towards the end of the year. And my second question, who was your role model, whether it's in the industry or personally, that really inspired you in your journey? Yeah, I, I think as, as cliche as it, it may sound, but it, it really is my my parents. They've come from India. They've showed incredible work ethic and belief in themselves that they could not only improve their lives that they had, but create a life for them and their, their children and, and support them and give them all the opportunities, you know, that they could wish for. And so seeing that relentless drive, I think, is always a kick to me when when I'm feeling you know maybe sorry for myself or when I'm feeling a bit down or doubting myself mm -hmm. I remember you know that relentless drive that my parents have had where they've overcome you know obstacles that are, are much greater than the things and the privileged position that I'm in and so it really gives me a sense mm -hmm. of perspective that they've overcome so much and the things that are in front of me will will no doubt be obstacles that I can overcome sounds like great people incredible people you know i i <laughs> obviously <laughs> biased but they're, they're a huge source of inspiration to me and at last if you had one thing you'd like to change right now in the industry what would it be it's very important this one to me and i hope with pixie we're able to create a vehicle that that alleviates this concern but really providing more opportunity So whether it's the, you know, the artist that has only been in the industry for two years and really wants to, to build a career out of building games and, and providing this experience and enjoyment, a lot of the time they may get looked over because they don't have 10 years or seven or eight years in the industry. Or it could be the, the founder that, you know, hasn't come out of Riot Games or Blizzard or another large studio, there's 
an incredible number of mm-hmm. founders that I speak to that have really great business models, uh, a really strong blue ocean opportunity uh, and has been clearly fought out, but because they don't have maybe the resume that shows that they can intrinsically come out and and take what they've learned, they maybe don't get the funding, they don't get the opportunities that, you know, you and I are obviously privileged to take advantage of. And so I'd really like to see mechanisms and more support systems mm-hmm. in place for those that don't have, you know, all the checkboxes ticked to be given opportunities and, and show that actually they can create some incredible value. And me too. I'd like to see that more. And that's the work we're doing with Rise and Play and you also being on the podcast today to really, you know, tinker new thoughts, initiatives, because we can all have a contribution to it as we are, as you said, in more privileged position and uh, make it more accessible for people who also want to be part of the industry. Absolutely. There's so much creativity and there's so much innovation uh, having these individuals that maybe don't have the years under their belt, but come with incredible ideas, passion and grit and determination. There's, there's a lot of value there that I hope gets utilized. Mm-hmm. All right. We're at the end of our conversation today. Thanks a lot, Cam. It was a great pleasure to have you. And I really enjoyed the discussion as a friend, you know, and you as a guest today on the podcast. It's great to always talk to you, Sophie, and a pleasure to to be invited. So thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to this new episode of Raise and Play podcast. If you enjoyed the content and want to support what we're doing, rate and review the podcast, spread the word about it. If you'd like to contribute to the change too, reach out to me on LinkedIn for a collaboration. You'll find all the rest of the content on riseandplay.io including my free masterclass on conscious leadership. Until the next time, 